Welcome to the con! This is a show dedicated to helping singers, songwriters, and indie artists like you create leverage in the music business. you got to think about things a little bit differently now. You're going to need leverage more than you need talent to get in the game and to create the relationships you want to create and climb up the ladder. That's why we called it the climb, C-L-I-M-B, creating leverage in the music business. You see that? You picking up what we're putting down there? Mm-hmm. You smelling what we're stepping in? All right. Okay. <laughs> That's a Baxter name put together by my good friend and co-host, Mr. Brent Baxter, who's an award-winning hit songwriter with cuts by Randy Travis, Lady Antebellum, Joe Nichols, and more. Oh, and Alan Jackson. That's big one, number five. Mm-hmm. What I love about Brent is he helps songwriters like you turn pro by teaching you how to write like a pro, do business like a pro. And once you get those two things tightened up, you're ready to talk to some pros, and he makes that happen to get you opportunities to get in front of real publishers, real artists, and get heard and create relationships. You can find Brent very easily at songwritingpro.com. Once again, that's songwritingpro.com. And I would like to introduce you to my co-host, Johnny Dwinnell. Johnny owns Daredevil Production. They're breaking artists digitally by identifying new fans through data. Listen, if you're an artist looking to increase your streams, blow up your video views, sell more live show tickets, and get discovered by new fans, TV, and music industry pros, then Daredevil Production can help. Daredevil has worked with multi-platinum artists like Colin Ray, Tracy Lawrence, Ty Harden, and Andy Griggs, just to name a few. You can find Johnny at DaredevilProduction.com. That is production singular, no S, and there is no S because there is no other. Johnny D. Hello. Hey, buddy. How you doing? Man, I'm doing all right. Doing all right. Enjoying the uh, really cold, rainy weather that I'm not in. <laughs> One of these days, I'm just happy to have shelter. There you go. That's right. Yeah, it's like a little chilly out here, too, but it's all good. I think it's a little warmer than when you are, where you are. So, uh-huh. Well, hey, today we are going to learn about Moneyball for the music industry. Oh, I like the alliteration, and I've not yet seen the movie, but I want to. Yeah, well, you're going to get some of it because I'm going to share some of it with you. (laughs) I've gone down the YouTube rabbit hole of watching clips from it because it intrigues me. Okay. But yeah, I've not seen the whole thing yet. This movie has so many different layers because why the hell are we talking about baseball on a music industry show? Because this is exactly what's happened in the music industry right now. And the triumph that happened that you see and the way of thinking and the approach and the pivot that had to happen with the character in this movie, who's Billy Bean, which I'll get into in a second. It's what artists have to be doing now. I've seen this movie before and I saw it again the other night and I was just like writing down stuff that they're saying and rewinding it. And then I remembered that it's 2020 and I can just freaking go into the office and find the script and print it, which is what I did. <laughs> You're not going to believe how much this movie has to do with the music industry. Mm-hmm. Before we get into that, let's take care of a little business. First and foremost, we are always super, super proud to be a part of the American Songwriting Podcast Network. American Songwriting Magazine is a beloved brand that's, what, 40 years old? Something like that. Early 80s, I believe. Yeah, 84, I Woo. think. So, man, thank you very much to the people at Songwriting Magazine for having us on their network. We love that. That's right. A lot of great shows on there. You can go to americansongwriter.com forward slash podcast, or just click the link in the episode notes to hear some of the best shows in music. So we're one of about 15 shows on that network. It's a good lineup. So we're proud to be part of it. 
Yeah, and they're all geared towards what you want. Songwriting, music industry, even some production stuff on there, I think. So lots to learn in one spot. Make sure you join the Climb community. This is a thriving community of singers, songwriters, indie musicians, indie artists, all trying to do what they need to do to climb up that ladder. They're asking each other questions. They're hooking up for song rights. It's a thriving community. Our growth rate has increased now, which is even more exciting. It was always like real steady. Mm-hmm. I don't know if we're just having a good week or if it's just kind of popping up, but love that too. Subscribe to the podcast wherever you consume podcasts. Leave a rating and review. We're trying to get to 200. So we'd love to hear from you guys and we'll read it on the air. And then lastly, tell somebody about it. If this is working for you, if you've given us this kind of time, we've really, really value that. We know how important that is and it doesn't happen unless we're connecting in some way to you. So tell somebody else about it. Help us help them. You know, they might find that moment, that breakthrough, that epiphany where they're like, wow, I've just been thinking about it differently. And speaking of the climb community, I just want to share some new heights. So this is a segment we post every Wednesday in the climb community on Facebook. And it's where we want you to let us know the wins, big and small, we love them all. Here's a couple, just one from uh, Randy England. He said his co-write calendar continues to fill up. Nice. Good luck on those co-writes, Randy. So that's part of the climb, right? That's new hike, getting those co-writes. I know at the beginning, it can be hard. And Randy's been at this for a minute, but you know, it can be hard to get those co-writes and quality co-writes. And that's part of the climb. That's something we celebrate. And also uh, here's one from Chuck Weimer Music. It says, pretty excited today uh, at the time he wrote this. My freshman single, Take You Anywhere, made it to number 63 on the Texas Country Music Chart. Nice. Excuse me, I charted. Good job, Chuck. And good Congratulations, luck. Congratulations, to climb. He did a consultation with me. Well, see, it's already paying off, obviously. That was already in play. I had nothing to do with that. <laughs> I was trying to give it to you, John. All Chuck and his team. I had nothing to do with that. But I'm super proud of him. And, you know, he's getting his head straight with some of this stuff. But, hey, man, charts matter. And that's super cool. So we're real proud of him. Awesome. So what are we talking about today? We ready to dive into some money ball? Yeah, we are. So here's the deal. I'm going to give you a little background on this. And even if you can't stand sports, watch this movie. <laughs> because... What's happening in this movie is what's happening in the music industry right now. There's so many levels of it that are parallel to it. But listen, in 2012, I started Daredevil Production. And initially, we were making records and developing talent only. I had a business partner back then. It was just all about making records, producing records, helping artists out. And somewhere around mid-2013, I began to see the vacuum in the music industry. I started to see very clearly... That there was a paradigm shift happening in the marketplace. The consumers, the market that purchased our products had largely moved from terrestrial radio and music television and other broadcast platforms to digital platforms to consume their favorite music and ultimately discover new artists. Mm-hmm. The smartphone is how we were receiving all our information, news, sports, politics, first dates, our favorite music and new music as well. So I saw that it was a totally different platform from broadcast. I saw the mistakes and that everybody, and this is human nature, was saying, okay, well, we've got to go do this on this platform. So they're going to take what they did on a broadcast platform and try to apply it to a digital platform. And then, of course, it's nothing but frustration. Or Mm -hmm. I'm going to take the strategy that worked yesterday and try to apply it to today, and it doesn't that strategy is not going to work. You have to think differently. You have to pivot. So I pivoted. 
Mm-hmm. Way ahead of the masses, watching the labels and the management and the publishing companies and the artists predictably continue to pursue the old way because that was what they knew, mm-hmm. right? And this is not a condescending statement. It's just a fact of human nature. There was way too many people of prominence in the music industry, too many really, really smart, really effective, even iconic people in the music industry who would, because they were human, continue to play the game the same way, even though it wasn't working like it used to. Mm -hmm. Okay. And Brent, you know, I talk too much. (laughs) (laughs) There's no S because there doesn't need to be another. That's right. I talk too much. And so I remember a conversation with my mom when I had this epiphany and I just saw like, okay, wow, I'm really ahead of the curve here. I see what's happening. I'm very clear on this. And so I called my mom and I'm having this conversation and she was excited that I was excited. I had found a new North Star, if you will. And when I find that North Star, I'm the kind of person I'm just all in, Mm -hmm. totally believe it in my heart, my soul. And I took about 90 minutes of her time and she's always thrilled to commit that to me, even if it meant I had the conch for the whole 90 minutes (laughs) to describe to her what Daredevil production was doing. And I mean, 90 minutes. minutes (laughs) I blathered on and explaining in detail what we were doing. And at the end of it, she had one brilliant comment where the language that she used to communicate her understanding of what I was going to go do with Daredevil would make the most efficient wordsmiths like you, Brent, blush with envy. (laughs) She said, oh, I get it. It's like Moneyball for the music business. It sounds like a book subtitle. Literally, if she had a mic, she should have dropped it and walked off stage right then and there. You know, Four words <laughs> to say what you talked about for 90 minutes. I was like, wow, that's exactly it. It's like Moneyball for the music business. And as we're recording this episode right now, the current World Series is unfolding. And I don't think there'll be any experts in baseball would disagree that the matchup that you're seeing in the World Series right now is largely a part of this story that we're about to tell, okay? It happened only because of this story that we're about to tell. Whether you like baseball or not, personally, I'll tell you I'm not a big fan. I don't follow baseball. I'm a football guy. Mm -hmm, Me too. But again, this movie's a must-watch for all artists, all musicians, because it's about you. This is where you need to be. You're Billy Bean in this movie, and I'm going to prove that to you. I'm going to build my base, state my case, and save my face. Or melt our faces. Yeah, it's all about you. So Moneyball is one of the ultimate David versus Goliath stories, first of all. And just for giggles, Brent, in your own words, describe what is a David versus Goliath story? You got the little guy versus the big guy. And one thing I think is interesting, because I was just looking up while we're talking about going, I need to put that book on my Amazon wish list. Mm -hmm. And the subtitle of Moneyball is How to Win an Unfair Game. Ooh, I did not know that. Now do we have your attention? (laughs) (laughs) Moneyball, the art of winning an unfair game. Oh, that just happened even better. The art of winning an unfair game. Okay, now that we have your attention. So Moneyball has so many dynamics, feelings, situations, and big picture similarities and strategic similarities to the music industry. When I watched it, I got so excited I had to do a show on it. So a quick note here to keep all of the non-sports lovers here on the same page, okay? Professional sports like NBA, basketball, NFL, football, NHL, hockey, all employ what is called revenue sharing. And this means that all the ad revenues created from the television broadcasts of all the games 
of these particular leagues are split evenly amongst the teams. And since broadcast revenue is a major portion of the operating capital for each team, this evens out the playing field. This makes it possible for any team in any market to compete year to year. It makes it possible for my beloved Green Bay Packers to not only exist, number one, Small but to dominate a market, and they are in these by far, without question, the smallest major league sports market known to man. Green Bay's population is only 100,000 people. And these days, you're never going to see a major league sports team in a city of less than one or two million people. Uh-huh. And why that's true for the Packers is another super interesting story that I'll gladly share with anybody that buys me a cocktail. <laughs> but the fact that they're in such a small market and compete with every other team in the league is what's germane to this show. Okay. The difference is that in professional baseball, there is no revenue sharing. This is one of the reasons why, if you look back over time, you'll largely see, and this is a generalization, but you'll largely see the same teams winning a majority of the World Series trophies. They're big, large market teams. This is the New York Yankees. This is the Dodgers. This is, you know, the Houston Astros. This is, you know, Chicago. Like, the same teams are largely winning a majority of the World Series trophies because they're in large markets like New York, L.A., Houston. And the smaller markets like Milwaukee, Tampa Bay, Cleveland are a rare occurrence in the World Series. And this is because... New York City is the number one radio and television market in the country with the biggest population. So since they have the most people within the broadcasting range of any given station, they can charge the most amount of money for ads. Therefore, the large market Major League Baseball teams have way more money, way more money to spend on players, on talent than the smaller markets. So when a Goliath like the New York Yankees goes up against a small market team, like the Oakland A's, and I believe that the Oakland A's, again, I'm not an expert on baseball, but I believe they're the smallest of the small market teams. I want to say like they are the smallest market in Major League Baseball. So when the Goliath, New York Yankees meet up with the Oakland A's, outliers aside, statistically over time, you can pretty much bet on the outcome, okay? It's not fair. Right. They get more money to spend on the most valuable players, as they see them. Yep. All the stars, they want somebody they can go out and write them the check and get that player versus yep. the small market teams, which just don't have the bank account. I mean, in the NFL, they have the salary cap they've yep. got to work in. So everyone's working from the same salary pool to sign yep. people. That's why you got all these shuffle and trade baseball. It's like you got the money. It's unlimited how much you can spend, whatever you yeah. can afford. Money is like no object when you're New York Yankees, but you got an issue if you're like Milwaukee Brewers or if you're the Cleveland Indians or if you're the Oakland A's. Mm-hmm. So the large market teams have more money than the small market teams. Does this sound familiar to you, artists? Mm-hmm. Right? Major labels got more money than the indie artists. So except for a couple miracles over time, the indie artists will always lose to the major label artists because they have more money, right? Right. Lose meaning you're not going to get the attention. You're not going to get the sales. You're not going to have the fans. Yeah, you're not going to get in front of the people. And well, let's just see about that. Okay. Let's just see about that. You see, just like successful baseball players, successful artists, they must have talent, nuance, be a student of the game. They must practice. They must improve. They must invest time, mental energy. They got to stay out of their own way and truly believe that they deserve to be in the show. Mm Mm-hmm. 
everybody, I think, has imposter syndrome. You got to get over it. If you're a pitcher up there and you don't think you deserve to be up there and you think you're not big enough for the moment, you won't be. Yeah. If you're a hitter and you think you're not big enough for the moment, you won't be. Here's a really good correlation. By the way, this really happened. This is a recounting of factual events. And Billy Bean is played by Brad Pitt. Okay, so girls, go go check it out. Yeah, he doesn't disappoint, okay? But Billy Bean was a Major League Baseball player first. He was drafted as a superstar player out of high school. Like, he finished high school. He chose between a full scholarship – at, I can't remember which school, maybe Stanford or something, but it's a big school, full scholarship, baseball scholarship, or go with the New York Mets. And so he chose to go into Major League Baseball. And he had something very special, right? Talent-wise, they have tools in baseball. They call tools. So like hitting the ball is one tool. Slugging the ball, hitting the ball hard is another tool. Mm-hmm. Catching is a tool. Being able to steal bases and run fast. So there's these different tools. If you're a pitcher, you might have one or two really good pitches, and they're going to try to help you develop a third one. Yeah, they want a three-pitch thrower, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So this is what they're kind of talking about. But Billy Bean had five tools. It's like Brad Pitt in real life. Yeah, right? (laughs) He's just naturally talented right out of the box. And so they draft him. But you know what? He didn't make it. Like, he just was one of those stories where they don't really go into this in the movie, but... I think he got in his own way a little bit. Like it wasn't like a story of drugs and alcohol or anything. It was, I think, imposter syndrome. Like he just couldn't get it together in the major leagues the way that he did in high school. And so all of those talents matter. But beyond that, what if it was more than money that could determine your success as an artist and the A's success as a ball club? You always need money, okay? But what if for all intents and purposes, the money didn't matter the way you think it should matter? And so I want to set the scene for this movie. On October 15, 2001, the small market Oakland A's make it to the American League Divisional Series, and ultimately they lost to the New York Yankees in five out of seven games. So the Divisional Series, this is the playoffs, essentially. The Mm -hmm. winner of the American League Divisional Series would go on to play the American League Championship, and then the winner of that would go on to the World Series to play the National League Championship, Mm -hmm. right? So it was a miracle that the Oakland A's got to the playoffs to begin with because the Yankees had a payroll of $114.4 million that year Mm -hmm. compared with the Oakland A's payroll of $39.7 million. So almost three times as much. That's what we're talking about without revenue sharing. Yes, like crazy, right? Yeah. And it was a miracle that Oakland ever made it that far, but they were lucky because they had very key early career acquisitions of three major star players or three players that would become major stars. And if you like baseball, you're going to recognize the names, Jason Giambi, Johnny Damon, and Jason Isringhausen. Okay. Mm -hmm. The problem was that after the 2001 season ended, all three of these players were up for free agency, meaning that they were going to go cash in for the highest bidder and be traded away, leaving the Oakland A's gutted because they couldn't afford to keep them now for what they were going to be worth in the market. Mm -hmm. And so teams like the Yankees go and pluck those good players from the small market teams, the best ones, because they can afford to. 
Exactly. So now how would they win if their best talent was leaving and they couldn't afford to replace them without getting a lucky again, catching lightning in a bottle through Mm -hmm. lucky drafting or a freak trade? Meaning like you get this player that comes to you for cheap because this other team doesn't believe in him anymore. And then all of a sudden a miracle happens and he turns on and becomes a value asset and has an epiphany or whatever. So Brad Pitt plays the role of Billy Bean, ex-Major League Baseball player, drafted out of high school. It wasn't about the money for him. This is what I liked. For him, it was about making a dent in the universe. He saw something that had to happen for the sake of baseball. And I guess I relate to this too, because I'm trying to do the same thing with indie artists, right? Mm -hmm. He wasn't content doing pretty well for a small market team like Steve Schott, who's the owner of the Oakland A's was. He's like, hey, you did really good. And this is more than you could possibly ask for, for a small market team in baseball, which again, isn't fair. But Billy's like, I want to win. And this is not what he's going to get. He's not going to get the money he needs to win, right? Right. So the owner was seeing a ceiling. Yes. Of, we're small market. This is our ceiling. Hey, that's cool. We touch the ceiling. We jump up and we touch the ceiling. And Billy's like, that doesn't have to be a ceiling. Exactly. And in all fairness, so owners of small market teams, as rich as they may be, they have to do business this way. They can't spend more money than they have. You know, it's bad business. So there are some killer key moments in this movie that mimicked what's going on with the music industry so much. I wanted to share them with you. So if you indulge me, I'm going to read a little from the script here because I want to point out some things that were happening because I see all these people in this movie as different people in the music industry. (laughs) And I want to make the correlation, but in this scene I'm about to show you here, the A's have just lost to the Yankees. Billy Bean, who's the general manager of the Oakland A's, has already gone to the owner to beg for more money so he can win a championship, and he's been denied. He's up against it. Now he's in a big room with all the Oakland A's talent scouts as they discuss how they're going to replace these three key players and who are going to be the best replacements. The scouts here, just to set the scene, these are old dudes. They're way older than Billy Bean, who's Brad Pitt, in their 60s and 70s, still chewing tobacco, every single one of them. They've been in this game for 30, 40 years, Mm -hmm. okay? And they're successful at it, much longer than their general manager, Billy Bean, has. They know how to do things right, but they know how to do it the old way, not the new way. Mm -hmm. That, to me, they feel like anybody that you would die to work with right now, (laughs) (laughs) major producers, major label executives, top tier managers and Mm. stuff like this. You run a danger of really getting somebody who was really, really good, but maybe hasn't completely got their head around the paradigm shift in the marketplace. So these old guys are discussing their favorite replacements and they're using the same old language and they're looking for the same old things, right? The body type, the attitude, the confidence, how many tools does this player have? And again, tools means can he hit? Can he hit hard? Can he catch? Can he run? How many pitches does he have? Etc. So we're in the room now and Grady, he's the head scout for the Oakland A's. Mm -hmm. It's like, uh, all right, guys, we had a great year. We won 102 games. We only came a buck short in New York. Now we have the bad news. We've got three big holes to fill. Let's start with who do we like for Giambi? And we'll go around the room. Who do you like, Maddie? And so Keo's an agent. He goes, I like Geronimo. The guy's an athlete. He's big. He's fast. He's talented. George is like, he's six foot four. Another guy's like, he's at the top of my list. A fourth guy's like, he's clean cut, good face. Fifth guy's like, good jaw. He's got, he's the real deal. He's got five tools. He's good looking. And then Billy Bean, he's like, can he hit? And one of the other guys is like, well, he's a tools guy. And Billy's like, can he hit? And the other guy's like, he's got a great swing, a natural swing. And so Billy's like, so you're saying he can't hit? 
Yeah. And then the other guy's like, well, he can hit. A third guy's like, the ball explodes off his bat. And a fourth guy's like, it's exciting. When he hits, it sounds like he's dropping a firecracker at his feet. A fifth guy's like, it's down in the pisser. You can hear that sound. It sounds like Maze, Mantle, Aaron. And Billy's like, that's not what I asked. I asked, can he hit? And the other guy said, he's a good hitter. And Billy asked, if he's a good hitter, why doesn't he hit good? <laughs> yeah. Like, he needs a little work, but he'll be able to hit. He's a great hitter. Billy's like, right. So we'll put him up against a big league competition. And suddenly he'll be able to hit. Billy knows he's coming from experience on this. Yeah. So Grady steps in, kind of takes over the conversation. All right. So who do we like? One guy's like, I like Perez. He swings like a man. He swings like a man. Another guy says he swings like a man. It swings it too much. You know, this, all this is going on con- like simultaneously, yeah. right? It's a little chaos. There's some work that needs to be done, I admit, but he needs to be reworked a little. But he's noticeable. And then Grady, the head guy's like, notable? He's like, no, noticeable. Like, you notice him. And then one guy's like, he's got an ugly girlfriend. Like, what, what does that mean? You know? And he's <laughs> like, well, that means he doesn't have any confidence. And then a third guy's like, yeah, that's true. And another guy agrees with him and says, yeah, I, I like the way he walks into a room. He's confident. Confident. He's got, you know, he, he says something I'm not going to say in this podcast, but yeah. see the movie. A fourth guy's like, he passes the eye candy test. He's got the looks. He's ready to play. He just needs some playing time. Uh, and the other guy's like, I'm just saying his girlfriend's only a six. You know, <laughs> one of the scouts goes to Billy. Hey, Billy, if you want to talk about another Giambri, this guy could be it. And while this is happening, all of a sudden, Billy just kind of interrupts him and he's whispering and he's moving his hands, like making his hands talk. Mm-hmm. And he's like, la, 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 <laughs> la, 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 la. It was irreverent, right? And so Grady, the head... Like doing the hand puppet thing, you know? Yeah, and Grady's like, is that a suggestion, Billy? And Billy's like, guys, stop. You're talking about this like this is business as usual. It's not. And Grady's like, we're trying to solve the problem. And Billy's like, not like this. You're not even looking at the problem. And Grady, the head scout, he's like... No, we have a very clear understanding of the problem that we now face, but everyone in this room has faced similar problems countless times before. Billy's like, good. What's the problem? And Grady's like, the problem is that we lost three key players and we now have to replace them. Billy's like, nope. What's the problem? Pitaro, the problem is the same as it always is. We got to put a team together with what we got. Billy's like, nope. What's the problem? Barry, we got 38 home runs to replace, 120 RBIs, 47 doubles. Billy, and not the problem. The problem we're trying to solve is that this is an unfair game. There are rich teams, there are poor teams, there's 50 feet of crap, and then there's us. And right now we've been gutted. We're organ donors to the rich. The Red Sox took our kidneys, the Yankees took our heart, and now I'm listening to the same old crap about having a good body and being a tools guy like you guys are looking for Fabio or something, like we're selling jeans. Mm -hmm. Is there another first baseman like Giambi? Because this guy was truly incredible, okay? Yeah. That's me talking, Johnny. talking. Billy asked, is there another first baseman like Giambi? Everybody's like, no. Billy's like, then stop looking for one. Ooh. Yeah. So Grady steps in, look. We're going to find 25 guys, put them through player development, teach them how to play Oakland A's baseball. This is no time to push the panic button, Billy. This is the way we've been doing it for 150 years. Let us do our job. Think about These people are trying to solve what they perceive as a problem. Yeah. And these are not unintelligent people. These are experienced professionals. Yes. And they care and they're trying to solve the problem. And you know what? Now they're a little bit like, hey, man, let us do our job. Okay, because what's happening here is Billy's starting to see like, This isn't going to work, right? Mm -hmm. This one floored me. Billy says this. If we try to play like the Yankees in here, we're not going to be able to play with them out there. Mm -hmm. We're not going to be able to beat them out there. So if in your head you're trying to play like a major league artist 
And then immediately, you're like, we don't have enough money. Well, you've already lost, haven't you? That's what he's saying. But we got to go to the radio with the single. We got to figure out how to get this single on the radio, but we don't have the funds of a major. How do we get the funds so we can get this song on the radio? How do we pay for radio promotion? Because that's what the Yankees are doing. Exactly. Right. So I'll tell you what, you be Billy for one second. Okay. And you got one line. Here's your line, Brent. You can color it any way you want to color it, but your line is, nope. What's the problem? Go ahead. Ask me what the problem is. All right. What is the problem? The problem is I need to record a whole CD because that's what I always wanted to do, 12 songs. No, that's not the problem. What's the problem? Okay, the problem is that we need to release this single. We got to get a big video behind it. We need radio promotion and we need tour support. We need that money from somewhere. That's not the problem. What's the problem? The problem is I need a record deal so I can get all this stuff and I need a booking agent. I need a manager. (laughs) That's not the problem. What's the problem? Here we are. The problem is we're trying to win an unfair game. We're trying to win an unfair game. So if you keep thinking about it the way that you've been thinking about it, then you are going to continue to fail because that's not your problem. (laughs) That was the first thing. Now, at this point here, Billy says, look, we got to start over. We got to rethink this thing. We got to look where others aren't looking. And Grady's like, hey, with all due respect, we've been doing this for a long time. Like Grady's getting a little miffed. You know, and Billy's like, that doesn't mean that you're doing it right. Yeah. We're the last dog at the bowl. We're the runt of the litter. You know what happens to the runt of the litter? They die. Mm -hmm. Then cut away. Billy is in Cleveland. He goes to fly to Cleveland because he's going to try to make a deal to get this left-handed pitcher that they want. Okay. Mm -hmm. Billy is speaking with a guy named Mark Shapiro, who is the brand new general manager for the Cleveland Indians, and he's in his office. And all his close staff is in the office with him, including Jonah Hill, who plays the character Peter Brand. Something else for you, ladies, little Jonah Hill. This is early Jonah Hill, right? (laughs) (laughs) That's true. Chubby and adorable, you know. (laughs) Billy says he's going to Cleveland. The guys are like, try to get Rincon, his scouts. He's like, I'm going to go see what I can do. So he's sitting down there and and all these people are in Shapiro's office. There's some back and forth or whatever. Shapiro's like, hey, what are you looking for, Billy? I want to help you out. And Billy's like, I need a lefty reliever and I want Ricardo Racone. Shapiro's like, that's not going to happen. And Billy's like, not even a discussion. And Shapiro's like, come on, Billy, even if you could afford it, we're not about to let him go. And he's like, well, you got that Venezuelan kid you're bringing up from North Carolina. Shapiro's like, yeah, we dished him to Detroit. You got to keep up. Billy's like, well, there's another idea. He's like, what else are you thinking, Billy? He's like, you have any outfielders I could be looking at? And Shapiro's like, to replace Damon, who's like a star guy now. And Billy's like, yeah. He's like, that's a tough one, Billy. Billy's like, what do you got? Shapiro's like, guys, you might be able to afford Hollins, Garcia, Cost. And Billy just doesn't like any of them. Mm -hmm. But he realizes, yeah, he's not going to be able to afford the people that he wants. So he's like, okay, tell me about Garcia. It's like me walking onto a car lot. What do you want? I want what I can have. I got this much money. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Exactly. So Billy's like, tell me about Garcia. And Shapiro's like, to replace Damon? And Billy's like, yeah, is he healthy? He's like, yeah, he's got this back thing, got some minor surgery, but he'll be good by spring training. And while this is happening, all of a sudden, he sees out of the corner of his eye that Jonah Hill leans over and whispers to this other guy on the staff, And the other guy on the staff sort of looks up at Mark Shapiro, the manager of the Clevelandians, kind of gives him a little very subtle no. And so uh, Billy's like, look, let's make a trade. I'll give you Guthrie for him and you kick in some cash, right? So that's a Guthrie is a player that Billy has. Mm -hmm. And uh, Shapiro says, Mark Guthrie. And this is when the head shake happens, you know, and Shapiro's Mm -hmm. like, how much are you thinking? Billy's like, kick in 200K. 
So all of a sudden, the guy that Jonah Hill whispers to comes over and he whispers in Mark Shapira's ear. And then Shapira says, sorry about that. So listen, Garcia is going to be a hard no. What else are you looking for? And Billy's like, what is going on here, yeah. right? Billy's like, I'll go straight up with you. Garcia for Guthrie, no kicker. Shapira looks to Bruce. And once again, Peter Brand, who is Jonah Hill, covering his mouth and whispering something that kind of mildly comes across as no. And Shapira's like, sorry, Billy, who else are you interested in? So that's the end of that scene right there. Okay, now... The next scene is Billy walks out of the office and he's walking through the front office of the Cleveland Indians. He's going to look for Peter Brandt. Like, who is this guy? Yeah. That just <laughs> totally Shut me down. screwed me in there. And what the hell's going on? So he comes over. You got to think Jonah Hill, right? He's just that demure, sort of reluctant personality or whatever. And Billy's like, hey. And Peter's like, hi. And he's like, who are you? Yeah. My name is Peter Brandt. He's like, what do you do? He goes, I'm a special assistant to Mark Shapiro. No, no, no. What do you do? He was like, well, mostly player evaluation right now. He's like, why does Mark listen to you? Well, actually, he rarely does. <laughs> Billy's like, he just did. I don't think he was really listening to me there. As And Billy's like, really? Because, yeah, I think he was listening to Bruce. He goes, who are you? Whose nephew are you? <laughs> you <know? laughs> He's trying to figure it out. He's like, yeah. I'm Peter Brand. He says, I don't give a rat's ass about your name. Yeah. Billy's like, what, ha- what happened in there? Peter's like, I'm not sure what you're asking me. He's like, what did you tell Bruce? It's like, I told him I like Garcia. Billy's like, why? Probably for the same reasons you do. He goes, meaning what? He goes, he's undervalued. You're smart to go after him. What makes him undervalued, Billy asks. Now, at this point, Peter's getting real stuck. I can appreciate this position, too, because I feel like for years we've been chasing windmills, right, Mm -hmm. here in Daredevil production. And he didn't want to talk about it. Like, he's afraid to talk about it in the office. So Billy just figures that's what's happening. So he says, hey, and gives him a head nod, follow me. And they go down to a parking structure, right? So Billy's like, where are you from, Peter? I said, Maryland. Where'd you go to school? Yale. What'd you study? Economics. He goes, what are you doing in baseball? He said, I love baseball. He said, what'd you do before baseball? He goes, this is my first job. This is your first job. He's like, yeah. Billy asked him, I'm just curious, why were you so cagey in there? He said, I work for a different team. And Billy's like, I know, but clearly I'm the first person in baseball who's ever talked to you this much, right? Why is Garcia (laughs) undervalued, you know? And Billy's like, truthfully, I might not be so easy to explain, right? Uh And Billy's like, really? Why is that, Peter? He's like, I might not see the game the same way that you do. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind and these Raycons are fantastic. 
Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Really? Billy says, what do you mean by that? He said, you spent your life in baseball, and I don't have a very traditional view of the game. Billy's like, hey, Pete, just say it. I'm not about to beat you up. Just say what you've always wanted to say to a GM right now is your chance. So baseball thinking is medieval. It's huh. stuck in the dark ages. I have a more scientific view of the game. Billy's like, keep going. He's like, there's an epidemic failure within the game to understand what's really happening. And it leads people who run major league teams to misjudge their players and mismanage their teams. They're asking all the wrong questions. Mm. People who run baseball teams still think in terms of buying players. He's like, I'm sorry to say that. Billy's like, don't apologize for what you believe. Peter's like, the goal shouldn't be to buy players. What you want to buy is wins. And to buy wins, you need to buy runs. And you're trying to replace Johnny Damon. So the mm. Red Sox took Johnny Damon and they look at him and they see a star worth seven and a half million dollars a year. When I look at Johnny Damon, I see an imperfect understanding of where runs come from. <laughs> That's the end of the script I'm going to read to you there. Go see that part of the movie. But Go see that movie. What happens next is that they put this team together. And they're getting all kinds of pressure. The coach of the Oakland A's, who's played by Philip Seymour Hoffman, God mm -hmm. rest his soul, is pissed off, doesn't believe in what they're doing. He just thinks that they're just screwing it on purpose. He's also pissed off that he doesn't have a contract extension, which he asked for. Okay, So he's not playing ball with them. They're trying to make a change, but it didn't just, they didn't just make the change. They didn't just decide to do it, and then it magically happened, and everybody fell in line. No, there's mm -hmm. all kinds of friction along the way. His head scout, Grady, quits. Mm -hmm. Basically says, you're going to go down, and you're not going to be able to put your kids through college. You're a moron. And he's on radio talking about it in the movie. Mm -hmm. And the coach isn't playing. Like When they finally get these players the way they want them, the coach isn't putting them in the lineup in the way that they want them to put in the lineup because there's a method to this madness. They're not playing in the sandbox, right? So mm -hmm. mid-season, there's a big guy named Pena, and one of the guys they drafted was actually Jason Giambi's younger brother, Jeremy Giambi. So he trades both of those guys in the middle of the season because the coach keeps playing them when he doesn't want them to be played in lieu of these other guys who don't look as good in the old way, the old right? Way, right. And so basically he has to go in and instead of trying to fight with him, he's just like, I just got rid of him. Now you got to do it my way. <laughs> yeah. And forced him to do it. So throughout the season, all of a sudden stuff starts to pop. Now at that time, the major league record for wins in a row mm -hmm. was 19 games in a row. And I think it was held by two different teams. Again, I'm not an expert on this, but I think one was the 1908 Yankees and some team from 1936. I don't remember who that was. It might have been the Red Sox, but they break 20. They start out at the bottom of their division, and they end up at the top, and they go to the division series again, and once again, they lose. Mm -hmm. They did all that for nothing. So it's a big moment there. There's a huge triumph because they were able to make all this stuff happen. He had to get different players to play along with them. Mm -hmm. That's why I suggest you watch the movie again just to see some of the stuff that happened. But don't think about it like baseball. Think about like the music business, yeah. right? So after all that, John Henry, who at that 
point had just purchased the Boston Red Sox. He's the principal owner of the Boston Red Sox. He purchased them in December, I think, of 2001. So he flies out Billy to Fenway Park, which is uh, Boston Red Sox home. It's a ballpark. It's just mm-hmm. baseball. Yeah. And I think Fenway Park for baseball people is like Lambeau Field for football. I mean, I know about it, and it was cool that I got to go up there and be around Fenway. It's just one of those legendary places, yeah. Yeah, so they're talking a little bit, and then finally they kind of get down to business. And John Henry says this. He says, for $41 million, you built a playoff team. You lost Damon, Giambi, Isringhausen, and Pena. And you won more games without them than you did with them. Hmm. You won the exact same number of games that the Yankees won, but the Yankees spent $1.4 million per win, and you paid 260000 per win. Because I know you're taking the teeth out there, but the first guy through the wall, he always gets bloody. Always. This hit me. This hit me really hard. Because this is not just threatening a way of doing business. But in their minds, it's threatening the game. Mm-hmm. It's threatening their livelihoods. It's threatening their jobs. It's threatening the way that they do things. And every time that happens, whether it's the government or a way of doing business or whatever it is, the people who are holding the reins, the people who have their hands on the switch go batshit crazy. Yeah. And I mean, anybody who's not tearing down their team right now and rebuilding it using your model, they're a dinosaur. Mm Mm-hmm. They'll be sitting on their butts in October on the couch watching the Boston Red Sox win the World Series because hmm. they were also a small market team. And by the way, Boston Red Sox at that moment had the curse of the Bambino still. Mm-hmm. Okay, so it had been 86 years since they won a World Series. Yeah. And everybody thought it was the curse of Babe Ruth, right? Mm-hmm. The last time they won a World Series was Babe Ruth. You know, at this time... Henry's the owner of the Red Sox, slides over a napkin with a number on it, and he offers Billy Bean $12.5 million to be the GM for the Red Sox. And that would have made Billy Bean at that moment the highest-paid GM in the history of baseball, and Billy turns it down. It wasn't about the money for him. The money isn't bad, mind you, but in this instance, it wasn't about the money for him. He was about changing the game, Mm -hmm. and that's what made him so special. He was a true, pure artist. So what did John Henry do? He did obviously remodel his team Uh and use the model that Billy Bean had started. And in 2004, which was two years after this, they won the World Series and broke the curse of the Bambino. They won again in 2007, again in 2013, again in 2018. And I think that with the World Series right now, we have the Tampa Bay Rays are playing against, guess what, another large market team, Mm -hmm. the Los Angeles Dodgers. And I don't think that that happens unless they're doing this. This changed the game forever. Mm -hmm. Man, this hit me like a two-ton heavy thing, you guys. This is... David versus Goliath, but you've got to think about it differently. Yeah. Okay, you're going to have to spend some money. This isn't going to happen by accident. Or if it does, it's not something that's a bankable strategy. Right. Okay, yeah. It's going to happen to some people, but you can't pay your rent on that unless you're that one lucky person. I mean, the chain smokers, God bless their soul, had a freak runaway viral hit with Selfie. And that's what got them their major label deal. But they're also extremely intelligent and knew how to choose a major label that was going to let them do what they wanted to do Mm -hmm. because they're doing Moneyball. They're not doing it the old way. And when they went to, I can't remember what label they're on, but when they went to the major label that they went to, 
The promise was, we're going to let you do what you want to do. And then right off the bat, what happens? Just like the coach from the Oakland A's, they're getting pushback from the radio promo department because they want to release every single month. And radio promo is like, you're screwing up our single. Yeah. And they said, don't care. I don't care. This is what has to be done. And so I think in the course of that movie where Billy keeps getting that pressure, that pushback, and by the way, I mean, that all started with Jonah Hill and his character, Peter Brandon Cleveland. Well, I think like the next day, he bought Jonah Hill from Cleveland. Right, so Jonah yeah. Hill ends up working for the A's and that whole thing they accomplished together, doing it because, okay, now we've got this idea. You and I can play in the sandbox together. So it's really Jonah Hill and Brad Pitt. They're two characters against the world. Mm-hmm. Against the world, because their scouts don't like them. The players aren't on board. They don't understand what they're doing. They think they're getting screwed. The coach thinks he's an idiot. Yeah. They're on talk radio. Everybody's talking about him like, oh, my, this is terrible. Like, blah, 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 blah. And everybody's doing the Monday morning quarterbacking. But they were able to find success through the mathematics. And do you see, this is digital marketing. Mm-hmm. This is not radio airplay. I mean, maybe we're going to break another artist on radio airplay. Just last week, we did the breakdown of Morgan Wallen. Mm-hmm. I think Morgan Wallen these days is making a pretty comfortable living, but he's not a superstar. Yeah. But at best, it's not even close to working the way that it used to work. Right. We've mentioned the book Permission Marketing before from Seth Godin mm-hmm. on this podcast. And in there, he talks about Procter & Gamble, right? Procter & Gamble's their first product was ivory soap in 1823. It was the first product ever invented to replace homemade soap. Wow. They've been selling ivory soap to your grandmother's 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 grandmother. That's a fact. Mm-hmm. And so the kids that are coming into marketing, but what are they doing? They're still making all these TV commercials. And the more money they spend on advertising, the less it works. And the less it works, the more money they spend because that's what they know. It turns into this vicious cycle. And it's going to take forever to turn that around. It will turn around. But Seth Godin would tell you to come in and like forget about all the broadcast marketing and get the emails of everybody mm-hmm. that you're working with and focus on number one, building trust with them and creating relationships with them. And then what else can you sell them? Yeah. With those same emails. Because the 80-20 rule exists, right? Pareto's law. 20% of their customers generate 80% of the revenue. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And 80% of their customers only generate 20% of the revenue. So focus on the really good ones. Exactly. Now we have to go back to creating relationships that you can't be the big star on the radio, at least not to launch your career. So you have to think about things differently. And the fact that you can make an impact like that in a game that's 150 years old. Yeah. Okay. That, that has been a big Big, big moneymaker before professional football was a big moneymaker. I mean, it existed, but professional football, NFL didn't come into its own until the early 70s. Yeah. Before the NBA was a really big moneymaker. I'm not sure when they popped, but I mean, it'd been around forever. Mm-hmm. But baseball was making money back in the America's early 1900s. Yeah. yeah. America's pastime. So this is the system that they totally shook up. Okay, because they had to do something different and they realized that if we keep doing it the same way we're doing it now, that's the definition of crazy. Yeah. And I mean, Brent, you and I were talking before the show, you made a correlation to that for the songwriters, Mm -hmm. right? Like, what were you telling me? Yeah, I was just saying I'm playing a little bit of Moneyball these days, too, because getting major label cuts, you know, getting your Morgan Wallen cuts and stuff. It's music business is unfair. So songwriting, because it is those closed doors, closed camps, closed relationships and stuff. It's like, okay, well, I'm a songwriter. How do I make a living on this? And 
and keep growing my brand and growing my business, even though I'm not in a lot of those rooms. Well, I'm playing a little bit of Moneyball. So it's about, I remember in a clip, because I'm not seeing the movie, but a clip like, how much did they get on base? We're looking at home runs. Those are sexy. How much are we getting on base? Yeah. And some of these Southern gospel things, Canada things, it's getting on base. You know, and that's what makes money. It's not hit songwriter, Nashville, country, major market songwriting money, but it's making money and it's keeping your name in the game. And also it's artistically fulfilling for one thing, because I like what I'm saying in those markets and I like to be able to play with different colors and not just write commercial mainstream country all day. But it's keeping the ball moving. It's keeping momentum going. It's getting on base. Like, yeah, I got number one in Southern Gospel. I, know, I got another that's climbing. And that stuff matters for many reasons. For one, people are like, hey, what you got going on? Well, I got on base. I'm getting on base. And it keeps yeah. your name out there and kind of relevant. So there's a lot of good stuff that comes from that. And I'm still taking the swing at homers and that kind of stuff, too. But it's not the only game in town. I'm not just thinking about major stars. Like I got to get that Luke Bryan cut. And I'm like, no, you know what? There are also these Southern gospel things and these other people that yes. value that matters. Let me ask you a question. Cause I don't think I've ever asked you this. Mm-hmm. When you finally got the cut for Alan Jackson, mm-hmm. Monday morning church, did you have a huge catalog of stuff at that time? I mean, because I knew it was pretty early in your career, mm-hmm. and I know that you were broke before that. You <laughs> didn't have a pub deal, and you didn't necessarily have a boatload of money to invest into demos or whatever. Yeah. So no, what man. did your catalog look like when that song hit the radio? Like a pretty beginner's catalog. I mean, I had a few demos, some stuff, a record that Tim Mites and I did back in 2000 in, in Arkansas. Right. I didn't have like a catalog, a discography of cuts. I didn't have any of that. I didn't have a lot of demos. It did pop out of nowhere, basically. Yeah. It was that freak thing. It was a God thing. It was one of those we all aim for, but... Well, here's my point on this, okay? So, again, back to the movie. Mm-hmm. Jeremy Giambi, who was Jason Giambi's younger brother, Jason Giambi is like a major, major, major star. Yeah. Like an ultra top-tier first baseman. I think he's retired now, but if he didn't make the Hall of Fame, probably just by a little bit, maybe, you yeah. know? But his younger brother... Good enough to be in the show. Yeah. Good enough to be in Major League Baseball. But they talk about this in the movie. He's a problem. He spends a lot of time in Vegas at strip clubs and gambles. (laughs) Like, he's a mess. Yeah. He doesn't have it together like his older brother. And that's where they were worried about or whatever. And so we talk about that when it comes to relationships, right, Mm -hmm. with publishers and writers. Like, okay, great. You can write a good song. Now, are you worth a damn? Yeah. Right. Is it going to be a pressure working against you or a pleasure working with you? Yeah. How does that work? And then the other part is, and now I'm just talking about laying down railroad track. What you're doing with the songs that you got now, the way that you're going after the Christian market is you're also laying down a lot of railroad track. Mm-hmm. So when something does pop for you back over in pop country and they're like, mm-hmm. oh, wow, was this guy worth it? Oh, yeah. Look, he just had a couple number ones last year. Mm-hmm. And Christian, like he's working. It's clear because now the body of work is there. And yeah. I believe and tell me if you think I'm wrong, but let's say that you had that hit a little later. You know, not that I would ever want to take that away from you, right? right? Yeah. But let's say that it was five years later that you had the hit and you had a bigger body of work. Mm-hmm. It could have monetized more because there was more to monetize. Well, yeah, I would have been that much better as a songwriter and had that much more of a network because, dude, I didn't know anybody. Yeah. Monday Morning Church got sung on the CMA Awards and I didn't have any parties to go to. <laughs> 
Wow, yeah. <laughs> I mean, Ronnie freaking well. Dunn is introducing Alan Jackson up there with Patty Loveless singing Monday Morning Church. Now, I'm actually at the CMAs because my lawyer, I met their buddy in Arkansas, and his law firm gifted me a ticket. So I got to actually go and be there. But when it was over, I was like, what do I do now? I don't know anybody. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. it was amazing to be there and hear the song live. And it was incredible. But yeah, where do I go? I don't have any parties to go to because I don't know anybody. Yeah. I mean, it was a total outlier. So it is kind of like the Oakland A's. You happen to draft these guys that come out of nowhere and all of a sudden you got a stout team. Right. And then what? The hit happened. Giambi's gone. Yep. Well, now what? I got to rethink this. There you go. You got to rethink it. If your approach is like, I'm going to try these three songs that I wrote, and then if nothing happens with them, mm-hmm. then nothing. Well, even if something does happen with them, you're going to lose. Right. Or you're going to make it more difficult for yourself. Like, the only reason you need to be writing is because you need to be writing, mm-hmm. not because you're trying to get a cut. Let that be a happy byproduct of scratching the itch that you really can't live without scratching. Yeah. I'll tell you one thing I've been, I did this years ago, back before Moneyball was a thing, or at least I was aware of it. I don't remember what year it was. It might have been like two. 2010 or something, but I started going through on an Excel spreadsheet, kid you not, because I'm a nerd. So I'm a little bit of Jonah Mm -hmm. Hill, probably more Jonah than Brad, sadly for my wife. But anyway. (laughs) It's okay. She still thinks about Brad. (laughs) So I started going through and I started listing my co-writers and I'm like, how many songs have we written? This many songs for each one. And I started giving weights, a bit like an algorithm of like, where am I getting most bang for my buck with my co-writes? Right. And so I started going, okay, if we get a cut, this is worth five points. If it's something my publisher demos, or if I get a hold, that's worth three points. If it's something my publisher likes well enough to demo, that's one point. And so it's weighted by going, oh, well, we've written 5,000 songs. We've gotten one cut out of it. That's not a very valuable co-write because it takes so many co-writes to get there. But like this person, everything we write, my publisher likes well enough to demo. And so it's getting pitched and we've gotten one hold out of it. And so you did this weighted average and it actually assigns a value to your co-writers. And you need like a statistically valid sample size of rights with these people. But you start saying, wow, you know what? I write with this guy or this girl and a lot of stuff gets demoed and it's getting pitched around there. And that's valuable. Okay. I need to see that. And this person... I've written them once, but we got a cut out of it. Okay, why am I not doing that? Or more like that. And just looking at it going, where's the value? Are some of these co-writers undervalued? Yeah. Maybe because they don't have a publishing deal. They don't have the track record yet. On the other side of that, I'm trying to build my stuff. So yeah, if another commercial country thing pops for me, I'm still writing commercial country mm-hmm. and trying to do it smartly. So I do have this back catalog and I'm working to build relationships. So maybe I do have some parties to go to. So I'm building that. But also, yeah, I have the track record of the Southern Gospel Cuts, which I know is not going to mean much of a hill of beans to people in the country world financially or otherwise. But they see like, where's he been since 2005? That's not a question because I've got some cuts in between then. But it's building, for one thing, my strength as a songwriter Yep. because I'm doing it. It's keeping my name in play. It's on stuff. The wall looks better. It's feeding my mojo and it's helping build other relationships. And so they see like, oh, this guy's a pro and he's sharp. So when the next thing pops... I'm in a much better position to leverage that. Yeah. The first time I wasn't. Yeah. And listen, so thinking about that scientifically too and understanding the game, like if you're doing one single and you're going to try to push one single and you're going to try to make something happen with one single and do it on digital, you're going to fail. 
Mm-hmm. because it doesn't work like that. You don't have the luxury of six months of radio spins where they get the same content shoved down the throats. And I mean that in the best way. I don't mm-hmm. mean it like in a horrific way, but like you're being pounded with the song over and over and over and over again. And back in the day when you didn't have a choice but to listen to the radio, that's all you had, then you couldn't help but develop a relationship with the song. But yeah. here, when was the last time you ever watched your most favorite little piece of video content that made you laugh or that was super adorable or that was the coolest thing you ever saw video was when was the last time you watched that three times right yeah you don't maybe you watch it twice if it shows up in your feed again but the next time it shows up in your feed you're like nah yeah. and you zip past it because you know how it ends especially if it's like three minutes long you can't approach it like a single you can't approach it like the yankees mm-hmm. right because you, you're not going to get on the radio you don't have that budget so what else can you do and by the way it's not even working like that for them either that's the other thing it's not even working like that for them but that's what they know and they're going to continue to do that so there's the opportunity for you to be a billy bean and to say okay let's just shift all of this over here to the left and i was having this conversation yesterday with an artist a former client of mine that we worked with and This is, again, how relationships happen. And he's actually involved with some dudes now that are starting this rock label. And in the budget, this guy's in there and they're talking about radio. And he's like, dudes, can we look at something different? I got a guy, right? Like, I want you to talk to him. And he's asking me, can you put something together for me? Because he really believes it. And you know what I mean? Yeah. It's all this stuff, guys. But this is where it is going to head. All of Major League Baseball does business the way that Billy Bean started doing business in 2001. It wasn't his idea, by the way, and it wasn't Jonah Hill's. It was created by somebody else. I can't remember what his name is, but a guy wrote a book, the book that you just read, the title you just read. Who's the author of that? Well, Michael Lewis wrote Moneyball. And so he wrote the book that the movie was based on. He's also the guy that wrote the Blind Side book, which also became the Sandra Bullock movie. Okay. Tim McGraw. So the guy who actually came up with that concept, I don't know. They talk about him in that movie, but he's a sports writer and an aficionado, and he came up with a different way of looking at it, but nobody ever believed it. Nobody had the stones to try it. (laughs) Yeah. And what happened, like necessity is the mother of invention. Billy didn't have a choice. So he was aware of the approach, but nobody would try it. And now he's looking for a different way to do it. And then finally he found his guy that understood it more than him. Mm Mm-hmm. And said, let's you and me partner up and was in a position to do something about it. But it still didn't come. He was the GM for crying out loud. He's the boss of the coach. Right. And the coach is like, F you, I'm doing this myself and not working with him. So this is not going to be an easy flow, an easy ride. You're going to have a lot of new stuff to learn. But this is where you got to go. You got to play Moneyball for the music business. We can be your Jonah Hill. But you don't have to get the coach with permission. Like you just have to give yourself permission to try some of this stuff Yeah, and start doing it because no one's giving you permission to get in the music business and no one can keep you out of it. That's right. It's up to you what you do with it. That's right. And you can go a lot farther with a lot less money. They didn't do it for free, right. but 260,000 bucks a win versus 1.4 million a win. Mm-hmm. That's 18% of the budget. And let's put it this way too. We're talking about winning the world series. That was their goal. But, you know, for you... Well, they didn't win the World Series, but they got in the playoffs again. Right, but that was the goal. And they got there dollar for dollar. They went as far as they went incredibly efficiently. Maybe for you, it's not being playing the Super Bowl, you know, as halftime. Maybe it's like, I get a quick day job. I get to make a living. Yes. That can be success. And that's another thing that we don't want to get lost is like, yeah, they were playing on a worldwide stage, trying to get to the World Series and Major League Baseball. 
But maybe for you, success is I get to quit my job and I get to be a musician full time. And that's winning. Yes. And that's another way to win at Moneyball is going, there are other ways to win. And maybe you do become that Jason Giambi that ends up on an indie label or independently. And all of a sudden the Yankees come calling. Yeah. And then you're like, oh, what do I want to do? Yeah. And can I tell you something too? Like, you know, Juice, I know Juice. Mm -hmm. He's a longtime friend of mine. Brilliant, brilliant dude. And Juice for years has been like my tech guy. Yeah. And I can always go to Juice. Hey, make this squeeze page for me. I need this. I need that. Because I hate tech. I hate tech. I hate (laughs) tech. Did I say that out loud? I I hate tech. I can't stand it. I want to be the idea guy. I want to move. I'm the relationship guy. But now Juice, God bless him, is busy as all get out. He doesn't have time for me or my money. (laughs) Yeah. So I had to learn tech. Yeah. You're going to have to learn tech. You're going to have to learn to be a better director. You have to learn Mm -hmm. to shoot better video somehow, whether it's with your iPhone or not. We posted some cool stuff in the climb community about that yesterday, by the way. Mm -hmm. Some great people that you can kind of latch onto and get free content from. They have paid content too, but you can get really good free content that'll point you in the right direction until you see enough success on yourself to say, wow, maybe that paid content's going to be worth it. There's no affiliate links in there or anything. It's just, hey, man, learn this Mm because you're going to need to know. Yeah. But Eventually, so many artists are going to end up being exactly like Joe Bonamassa is. Hmm. He's making his own records, his own tour promoter. He's his own record label. He's his own ticket outlet. He is completely self-contained, not a big, massive superstar, but he certainly is a success success and profitable, very profitable, Mm -hmm. and doing what he wants to do. And you can do it too, but you've got to play Moneyball for the music business, right? Can I share... One of the other things I'm doing, Moneyball, which is newer and thinking outside the box. Absolutely. As a songwriter, I have interns. Where did I get the idea? Johnny. Thank you, Johnny Jonah. (laughs) So I've put online for songwriting and music publishing internships available. And I've gone through Belmont and I have two right now. And I got another one I need to onboard and some other people have applied. So, okay, I don't have all the money and all the resources of a major publishing company, but I still want to get cuts and hits, right? I don't have the budget that Sony does, that Big Machine has, that all this other stuff. So I'm having to play a little bit different game. What can I do? So I've started to get these interns who are working for college credit. And what I'm having them do, part of it is artist research. Say we talked about Morgan Wallen, like go through his last two records, find me the label, the producers on there, the writers on each song, keys and BPMs and what kind of subject matter are we talking about? Give me a file, give me a dossier on what he's doing. There you go. And I'm listening to it because also I'm a fan, and, but it helps me really see kind of the matrix going, oh, well, shoot, he writes everything with Hardy. So if I'm not in the room with him, maybe I need to go shift over here, <laughs> you know, or work right. on getting in that room. But in the meantime, I don't need to be writing songs for him. I need to be writing songs for this dude over here, which my research tells me they will cut outside songs. And oh, I can get to that producer. I'm looking for the opportunity, right, where I can be efficient. And also they're going through my catalog and coming up with pitch ideas. Yeah. And I'm, one of my interns had a great idea the other day. She was going through my catalog and said, you know what? This song would be great for Jimmy Buffett. Is that weird? I'm like, no, actually, that's brilliant. And I've had that song for like 15 years. I've never thought of that. That's great. Okay. This week, find out how to get to Jimmy Buffett. There we because go. I don't have a creative staff. So they're becoming my creative staff. And I'm like, I'm doing the pitching, but they're setting me up and keeping me accountable and helping me just find a different way to... And adding some different energy to it and a different look at it. Yeah, different ears. So it's like, what's a different way to play a bigger game, even though I don't have the Yankee budget? What does this make possible? I've mentioned that to a couple of my songwriter buddies. They're like, you have what? I have interns. What? 
like, yeah. <laughs> I have them like looking up contact information. And also talking about kind of the money ball thing. It's like, I'd still love to get a cut on like Tracy Bird, Mark Chestnut. You know, these guys are legacy artists that yeah. aren't on major radio anymore. But, you know, they're still putting out some records. They're the people I can send to go hunt them down and figure out how to get a song. to. Hey, when was their last record? Who's producing? Who are the writers on that record? And start to see if there's opportunity there. Because personal fulfillment would be cool. Like, yeah, love those guys in the 90s. They're still doing cool stuff. And I probably have some songs that fit them. Let's go get a cut. Mm-hmm. It's just a way to play a bigger game. But it's something I haven't been pursuing because I haven't had time. Yeah. Which is another type of budget, a time budget. This is a way to increase my time budget without making more time. So yeah. just I'm gonna encourage y'all to think outside the box. Yeah, here's your proof. It works in an industry that's older than the music industry mm-hmm. with bigger titans yeah. and much, much, much larger total industry, mm-hmm. to be sure. Super competitive. Bigger personalities to go through, super competitive, and it works. So watch that movie, guys, and you'll see. I think now that I set the stage... Even if you've seen it before, go back and watch it again mm-hmm. because it was just so encouraging and so interesting. And man, we went way long here, but I think it was worth it. Guys. Listen, download the uh, free PDF, 21 Biggest Reasons You Don't Have More Fans and How to Fix That at giftfromjohnny.com, J-O-H-N-N-Y. It's free. Just tell us where to send it. And also, we're available for consultation. So reach out to us at info at daredevilproduction.com, put consultation in the subject line, and we can set up a one-on-one and try to help you connect some of these dots, help you play better money ball for the music industry, and show you what assets you have. In a lot of ways, what the interns are doing for you, Brent, we can say, hey, you can do this, this, and this. I bet you didn't think of that. Oh, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Cool. And make it happen that way. This podcast exists because we want you to win, so keep on climbing. And we'll see you at the top. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.